Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 191 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Keith Rovers, a market-leading corporate finance and projects lawyer Keith has driven many of Minter Ellison's headline major property developments, acquisition and project finance deals, including King Street Wharf and Central Barangaroo, Social and Economic Infrastructure Triple P's, and the headline acquisition financing for Morgan Stanley Real Estate Fund's acquisition of Investor, the first public-to-private takeover of an Australian-listed real estate investment trust. Keith brings this commercial expertise and a passion for social justice together as the firm's pro bono and community investments partner, and in this role advises for-profit and not-for-profit social enterprises, sponsored by the likes of Social Ventures Australia, Social Traders, Westpac Foundation, AMP Foundation, First Australians Capital, and Optus through its Future Makers program. Keith regularly works with social traders and SBA and advised on the market-leading Vanguard Laundry Social Enterprise Project in Toowoomba, Butterfly NDED's residential eating disorder facility on the Sunshine Coast, Social Traders Certification Framework, and manages client partnerships with over 40 not-for-profit and for-profit social enterprises. He's on the board of the Westpac Foundation and a number of social enterprises, including the incubator White Box Enterprises and Charities. Keith is also part of the firm's responsible business unit, with a focus on sustainable finance and climate risk governance, advising on ESG issues relating to corporate governance and disclosures, and has written recent pieces on the mobilisation of private finance to tackle social issues in climate change, social and green bond financing, responsible investment, and issues relating to sustainability, ESG, and implications for the finance sector and society. He is recognised by Best Lawyers in Banking and Finance and is regularly published in the Australian Banking and Finance magazine and other publications. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Keith's perspective on the state of social enterprise in Australia. We'll get Keith's legal insights and advice for social entrepreneurs, and we'll hear where Keith believes there is room to grow and support the social enterprise sector. So Keith, it's a pleasure to be talking today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So, Keith, to kick things off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led to your legal work in the social enterprise sector? Well, thank you. I've been, uh, I suppose, a lawyer for about 30 years and I've got sort of a deep interest in history. Uh, I've been involved in sort of community projects uh, and on boards of sporting clubs and other bodies. I've been the Minter Ellison Pro Bono Partner for the past five years. I suppose I, I grew up um, in southwest Sydney. My parents were, were migrants, came out in the in the 60s. My dad um, was trained at Phillips uh, in, in Eindhoven in, in Holland yeah, and right. came out here and his, contra- uh, his, his skills weren't recognised basically and so he had to set up a small business. 
Uh, and he was very successful in that, and that enabled me, fortunately, to, to go to university and the like. Hmm. So I did economics and law with an accounting background, and I'm always amazed that you spend five years sort of studying a, a subject and the last year ripping it to pieces in, in terms of looking at, at the flaws in the the assumptions that sit around economics and accounting yep. uh, with, you know, rational, rational economic man and all of that sort of stuff, and then... You look at the law in the social context and how law is created and, and reflects uh, the social mores of, of the time. But then you go out and you apply it as if it's not flawed. Um, mm. And so the whole idea, for instance, of externalities in, a, in, account, in accounting and economics just sort of still staggers me that we've created this system that you know recognises that there's issues that company business models don't necessarily price in or build into their value chain the negative externalities, they pass those on to society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of pollution and, and, and environmental externalities, but then on the flip side, you think about positive externalities, such social enterprise that creates social value or public value that's not captured in a business model. And so how do you go about recognising those impacts, both negative and positive, mm-hmm. and factoring them into not just the economic models, but then the accounting frameworks, the legal frameworks. You know, fiduciary duty is about purpose more so than um, you know maximising shareholder returns. I think at some some levels, and so that's been something that's intrigued me. And and my work in the homelessness sort of sector, you know, giving people stable, appropriate housing, has both major personal and health and wellbeing impact for that individual. Has major intergenerational benefits. So there's there's a bunch of, I think, economic cases that go with social justice cases for you know, dealing with homelessness in an appropriate manner, but likewise, recognising that social enterprise is, is proving some great business models to tackle social issues and they thought, therefore they need to be supported in some fashion so that they can capture some of that value that they create. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's some really deep experience there, Keith. So I'm curious to hear as a partner at Minter Ellison then, what are some of the key observations beyond these externalities from your diverse work across the social enterprise sector? Uh, I suppose partly I come in it again with a finance lens. You know, most of the people I suppose that I, I see in the pro bono space often come at it from a, an access to justice disputes mm. angle and, and are looking to create systemic change through the, the court system, which I you know, acknowledge is a, is a very valuable tool. And we have at Minter Ellison very strong access to justice programs. We run homeless persons legal clinics across the country with organisations like Justice Connect and the Public Interest Advocacy Centre and Law Right and, and what have you. So they are very powerful tools. Yeah. Coming at it more from a corporate angle, I see the power of social business, so reading, you know, Muhammad Yunus's books and, and the like, and, you know, that if you can create sustainable revenues that aren't grant or donation dependent, that it reliant upon a sort of a, a sustainable business model that you're then free to advocate, you're free, you have you have your own destiny yeah. in your hands in that, that sense. So I can see the power of, of business as a, as a force for change, particularly, I suppose, in the, these times where we've got gridlocked politics. Mm. Um, we talk, I just mentioned sort of economic or business cases for some of these things. Well, you know, the federal government spends, you know, raises, I think, $500 billion, spends $300 billion on health, education, welfare, and it just spends that money. It doesn't have any evidence for the effectiveness of any of those 
interventions or programs. Mm-hmm. But if we can build businesses and other models that demonstrate other types of interventions and you get evidence for um, not just social business case but the economic business case for those interventions, then you would have thought that governments should recognise that data and that evidence base and therefore refine and shape their programs to, to pick up some of these different types of interventions. And, and so you know, when I look at you know, the work of you know, the vanguards, the streets, Jigsaw, you know, there's, there's many uh, across Australia that are proving the success of you know, supported employment pathways, for instance, yeah. and Westpac and CSI just produced that, their research piece around that and you know, with um, Joe Barraquette and Swinburne and, yeah. and the Centre for Social Impact. There's, there's a whole range of data and evidence that's coming out and I think partly coming at it from a commercial law firm perspective, I bring a different voice. Mm. And, and you know, the likes of us and Westpac and, and you know, the PwCs and the corporate voice combined with the, the, the third sector or social sector voice hopefully brings extra power to that discussion. Um, it's not as if it's a sectorial sort of interest asking for something. It's actually a combined voice and, and that whole idea of fourth sector, the combination of the three sectors creating different types of value and innovation, it's again something that, that excites me and um, you know, I, I like the, the, the thinking behind that. I think yeah, collaboration and uh, innovation come together in those sorts of partnerships and you know, you're able to use private capital and, and government capital and, and again, we talk about capital, but beyond financial capital, it's, it's human capital, it's social capital, obviously there's mm-hmm. the natural environmental capital, but um, using the different forms of capital, recognising that every entity, whether it's you or me or BHP, uses a combination of those different forms of capital to create value and then try and, and value is another word for impact, I suppose, positive and negative. But how do you create vehicles that maximise positive impact mm-hmm. or minimise negative impact? Um, so that's, again... Coming at it from a, an accounting economics background, it seems to me to be odd that we use flawed systems and flawed models when we, we, we recognise they're flawed, but we still, we're completely reliant upon it. It's sort of strange. Yeah, totally. It's great to have your, your contribution to the development of the sector, Keith. So in a legal sense, where do you see social entrepreneurs typically getting caught up and what lessons could you share to help prevent others making the same mistakes? One issue is we don't have standardised structures. So in, in an industry that has limited financial capital, having to reinvent the wheel all the time is, mm. is, is somewhat uh, challenging. Yep. Uh, in other jurisdictions, there are specific sort of structures that sit between for-profit and not-for-profit. And, and having said that, you know, there is opportunity for innovation. But the issue is if you've got limited capital and you go out there and you get it wrong to start with, then you blow, an, you blow up and... You get one crack at it. Yeah. So, so developing some sort of standardisation uh, is always a challenge. And so, you know, the work we're doing with social uh, traders, for instance, is around that certification framework and trying to mm-hmm. develop some some standards around for-profit social enterprise. Not-for-profit is relatively easy because you've got asset and mission lock built into the constitutions and the like. So you know that they're going to be using all of their assets for a particular mission, whereas yeah. for-profit, you, you've got a mix of social and financial primacy, uh, so they're, they're interesting. I suppose understanding your business model and strategy 
and again, you know, there's probably two or three different types of model. You know, we, we do a lot with them supported employment pathways, so a direct benefit to a disadvantaged cohort, yeah. uh, and that has an, inefi- an inbuilt inefficiency. So how do you subsidize that inbuilt inefficiency? And so often they're in not-for-profit structures because you've got donation and grant money to sort of subsidize that not-for-profit. There's no tax leakage. There's no um, profit component. So, you know, that's, that's sort of that model there. Mm. You've then got indirect benefit models, so cross-subsidy running a commercial business where you use part of the profits to subsidize low-income access. You know, so there's, you know, you might run an internet service business that provides access to, to low-income people on the basis of using some of that profit. Or the third model is sort of donation models where you run a pure commercial business and you donate part of the profits all a part of the profits to either nominated charities and what have you. So we've worked with a few of those. And then we've got some hybrids. So where you, you then need to create a story between what is your for-profit entity doing, what is your not-for-profit entity doing, and what's the logic between the two. Mm. It gives you the full spectrum of funding sources, but how do they talk to each other? How do the shared services get delivered? And so from my perspective you know, as, a, as a commercial lawyer, building those things is, is very interesting, but you know I'm also rather expensive. So, yeah. but for pro bono advice, you know we'd be priced out of the market. Yeah. And the issue is, you know, that, that often these small businesses have to go to their local lawyer or local accountant, who you know can be a fantastic professional, but they don't have the full raft of a thousand lawyers that I have the ability to call on here. Yeah. So it's a it's a tough gig. Um, it's not only are you capital constrained. You're running often a model that's got a inbuilt inefficiency in it, which is partly the the social public value that you're you're delivering. Mm. Uh, but then you're constrained in terms of your access to good top tier advice, and then also the human capital piece. You know, there's yeah. I just look around here. There's a hundred thousand people in just in the financial sector sitting outside my my windows, and there's a number of them that want to provide their skills, but there's no matching platform. Mm. Um, to match the the human capital that we've got sitting in in just the financial sector, let alone thinking about across the broader econom- economy, to the needs of, of um, some of these social enterprises and not-for-profits and the like. So there's some interesting things at play in terms of how you match you know, the, the financial capital needs, the human capital, capital needs and the like. Yeah, completely agree. And I think you've highlighted some of the main pain points that I've observed as well in, in working with a range of social enterprises. So I'm curious to hear then, Keith, how you have seen the social enterprise movement change in the last five years or so, given your, your deep experience, and where do you see it going in Australia? Uh, we seem to be at an interesting point now. Um, so I'm, I'm involved in White Box, for instance, so that's an incubator, and, and someone like Luke Terry is you know, this sort of missionary um, yeah. who's obviously done it as well, but also sees the benefit of helping others. So there's a lot of, of that. I see also the corporate sector sort of slowly getting behind the notion and providing that sort of ecosystem support. Mm. Likewise, I think that, you know, there's Victoria is clearly ahead. Queensland's doing very well. New South Wales, there's now some embers and, and you know, the, there's a, a group trying to set up a peak body. You know, they're often local and regional and what have you, but there's nothing that's inherently local that can't mean you couldn't have a, a national peak body. Mm. And I think that's on, on the cards. And, you know, I've been talking you know, to organisations like the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry and you say to, to them, 
where's the social business chapter? Now, you represent 145 different trade and industry bodies. Where's the social business sector mm. represented in, in that? And it's up to us, I suppose, to help create that. But also, a number of those trade and industry associations are looking for the labour. And so, I think tourism and hospitality or, you know, chefs and, you know, that social enterprise is building the people that they need for those those industries. So there's a, a nice sort of alignment there. And so I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that over the next, you know, five years that that sort of alignment and the, the, the depth of knowledge, you know, spreads. We had a session a week or two ago with the Deputy Premier of New South Wales who was is not new to social enterprise but didn't understand the depth of the, the, the sector mm. and the, the level of the depth of impact and could see immediately and to his credit recognise the cross agency issues, you know, these sort of silos and empires. Yeah. And how do you break that down? Partly that's their job sitting above those silos and empires to recognise that there's value created in each of those silos and empires. And but if you look at them horizontally or vertically, you know, you've got to look at it holistically. Likewise, that you can't say, well, well, the feds are getting all of that benefit, so why would we support? You know, we need to start to to get the government agencies and the like to to, to look at it holistically. And, and so, to his credit, he recognised that and saw a number of opportunities for us to take some of these social enterprises that presented into to various agencies to explore you know, some of the interventions that are being made. Um, to, to enhance the, the policy and delivery mechanisms that they're already using. They, they recognise that there's a bunch of stuff they're doing that isn't optimal. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, you know, us proving these models means that, you know, Whitebox, for instance, is looking at scaling a number of proven models. And, and the, the fact that we were talking about taking a whole bunch of New South Wales social enterprises into Queensland <laughs> was some but, um, place that state of origin sort of competition. Yeah. But um, hopefully that sort of can, you know, can be used or leveraged to, to, to say, well, you know, White Box is doing that partly because it's got Queensland government support, you know, give, yeah. give us New South Wales government support and, you know, we will have, you know, new vanguards in New South Wales and new, you know, I think it's, we're in a, in a really good spot at the moment. There's the, the World Forum in Ethiopia coming up, you know, organisations like Westpac Centre for Social Impact and some of the other Organisations that are providing support, I think you know it, it's it's a slowly building movement. Yeah, completely agree. So, which social enterprises in Australia then, Keith, have you come across which are creating some great strong impact? I mean, you've mentioned Vanguard Laundry and and Street. Uh, you're working with White Box Enterprises. What else? Yep. Uh, so there's clearly Jigsaw in the disability space. Uh, we're doing some stuff. We've sort of we have a program where we've got probably 30 or 40 social entrepreneurs and their social enterprises, so at different different stages in, in evolution yeah. and across different sectors. So a lot of them, are, as I mentioned, are providing supported employment pathways. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, there's go-go events in, in Adelaide. Again, there we talked to them about you know, they were a for-profit, you know, where does the not-for-profit sit? So they'd set up a foundation. And again, there's a sort of interesting dialogue. So that's uh, Sarah Gunn. Yeah. Most of them come out of the, the Westpac program. So we are involved with, with Westpac and we provide support to their social entrepreneurs and their, their scale-up grant winners. 
And then, you know, as I mentioned, there's Optus Future Makers, which is more technology-based. Uh, and Virtual Psychologist is sort of an example of someone we've worked with there, providing text-based sort of counselling services, so using technology as a solution there. There's a there's a there's a whole whole raft of them. Um, I probably should have a li- I do have a list of them somewhere. But um, what are the more interesting ones? You know, Goodwill Wines is a for profit, so that's that donation model. So yeah. it's a for profit social enterprise where we did it had a bunch of impact investors um, who understood the, the the social mission and were prepared to sign up and, and acknowledge that they their return is a blend of financial and social, and so that donates significant sums to, to charities often nominated by the customers who buy the wine. Yeah. There's uh, Green Connect and, and Community Resources. So we've, we've been working with Community Resources. With, we took Jess Moore's Green Connect business and plonked it into the Community Resources fold. We've then been working with Soft Landing. Again, it's an interesting one. It, it, it's had an experience where it had a joint venture with a for-profit, which, which hasn't necessarily worked out as they envisaged. So mm. there's a bit of work around that and it's you know it's a quite a significant size you know it's in the 20 million dollar revenue yeah. across its i think six or seven businesses so it's a it's an interesting example of scaling and possibly scaling too quickly and mm. and some of the the difficulties so it's it's you know jess spoke at social traders about that sort of not a war story but but some of the lessons that came out of of that growth and, and the impact on on other businesses, and I suppose I'd also add, you know, structuring. Typically, in my real estate or my finance world, you know, we we t- tend to do things in project vehicles so that you limit and quarantine risk. Whereas yeah. a lot of these organisations are set up, and they, you know, I call them blobs. You know, they've got a bunch a business, but it's not in a separate structure, and that then means, from a risk perspective, if that business blows up, it potentially could kill the whole mm. parent. Uh, so structuring techniques are often, you know, you asked before about sort of lessons. I think that that that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing some interesting. Grameen is about is in the process of sort of doing some pilot projects and trying to build bring that microfinance social enterprise model. And we've already there's many rivers and um, Good Shepherd in that microfinance space. And then we do some, uh, quite a bit with sort of indigenous businesses under the sort of sponsorship of. First Australian Capital, which again is another sort of incubator. So, mm. so partly our program is filtered by organisations like you know your Westpac, Optus, and, and First Australian Capital, and it's a nice alignment of you know that their office, uh, you know, AMP and, and Westpac support First Australian Capital. So again, there's a nice alignment of some of the programs with our clients, and so that sort of shared value model, yeah. where you know we're, we're working closely with our clients to, to help amplify social impact. So that's, you know, there's a, a nice strategy and alignment around those sorts of things. Mm, there's a really nice broad array of, of great social enterprises there, Keith. So I'll stick links through to them in the article. So to finish off then, what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, goodness, I've got a whole bunch of them. I think Luke Terry mentioned Ice Cream Social. So that's that's an excellent one in terms of that journey of the story of, um, of Ben and Jerry's particularly over a, a sustained period of time and that linked prosperity idea. Yeah. There's obviously the Muhammad, Muhammad Yunus books with three zeros. Mm. I, I, I'm a big fan of Kate Raworth. I don't know if you know her, Donut yeah. Economics. Yes, yeah, it's been recommended quite a bit. Yep. 
Okay, seven lessons for 21st century economists. So again, I, I like the idea of conceptual frameworks. So that gives you a, a conceptual framework linking social foundations to ecological limits and also the role of collaboration and innovation and the commons um, and rebalancing you know, society is not just the economy. So you've got the, the care sector, the, um, the household sector, the economy, markets, the role for the state and the like. And again, it sort of examines some of the circular economy principles, which are sort of inherent in a number of the sort of sustainability models that social enterprises employ. Yep. Professor Colin Mayer, Prosperity is a fantastic one, looking again at multiple forms of capital, but also the idea of purpose and looking at the role of the company and the history, and six stages of, of, the, of the history of the, comp- the company structure. Yeah. And that purpose was at the centre of that. And so fiduciary duty, reporting, governance, all of these things should be around purpose rather than sort of where we've, we've landed. Daniel Kahneman's a great one, thinking fast, thinking slow, which is around mm. sort of heuristics and biases. Um, and so it's a, just a, it's a really good book by Michael Lewis, which actually looks at Daniel Kahneman and uh, Tversky, the two, the two of them, uh, their partnership, which led to large, the, largely the, the theory behind behavioral economics. And so some of, the, uh, some of the stuff we've talked about, I think, could use that sort of lens Rather than the sort of some of the the, uh, the basic economic modelling that um, you know is is implied in our in our system, mm. Jed Emerson uh, with his one pocket thinking, so creating businesses that maximise positive social impact uh, and financial return. Their futures matter. I think I mentioned that forecasting future outcomes with that sort of investment holistic whole of government approach. And then I, I, I suppose just. More Roger Martin fixing the game looks at customer centricity and, and has some interesting analogies, particularly post GSC. And um, Harari Sapiens, uh, and, I, and I think that's mm. he's got three books, um, but, but Sapiens probably the recognition of the power of stories yeah. and the recognition that a lot of the concepts that we have are myths that we've all bought into. And so at one level, you know. If they're all stories and myths that we've bought into, then they are changeable. Mm-hmm. So we can change the narrative and change the story. So it just requires, um, you know, convincing argument. But you know, that's partly why we're here is to, to build the evidence base and the like. So yeah, there's a few there. There's a I've, I just did a session doing well, doing good, which um, we ran for the sort of lawyers as part of our continuing professional development, so for clients and the like, and that looked at that sort of whole philosophy around doing well, doing good, but some of that business as usual won't cut it. You know, the the idea that there's $200 trillion in listed bonds and equities mm-hmm. globally, yeah. there's, two, there's $2 trillion there's two trillion dollars in philanthropy. Also, the, the, philanthrop- the philanthropy is not going to cure the the ills that are created partly in those... Um, those businesses, so we need to reimagine capitalism. So partly it was looking at you know, the Kate Raw with ideas, impact investing, yeah. the ideas around value yeah. and, and the like. So there's a few sort of books that have inspired that sort of thinking, and I just mentioned some of them. Yeah, well, it's a fantastic list there, Keith. I think it's probably one of the better ones from all the close to 200 podcasts we've done. So I, I can't wait to to link through to all those books in your article and, and people will be able to get on there and browse through them all. So, Keith, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and we very much appreciate you being so generous with your insights and time and we'll certainly look forward to following your journey as you continue with this broad array of, of projects in the social enterprise space. 
Well, thank you very much for the invitation and no doubt our, our paths will cross. Cheers. Cheers, Steve. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.